Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. One of the most famous verses in the Bible come from Jeremiah 29. It's verse 11. If you don't recognize the, the reference, you'll most definitely recognize the words. And I want to, I want you to follow along with me, but, but I want to read this particular verse that is uh, sometimes considered a, a life verse that folks will identify with in their life. But I want to read it to you in several different translations. The King James Version renders it this way. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And then the New International Version. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And then in the New American Standard Version, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And then the translation that I'll be using, the Holman Christian Standard, For I know the plans I have for you, this is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Familiar words. No matter which way you translate it, these words should be words of comfort to us. They are words of encouragement. This is the kind of promise that that comes from God's Word to us that should bring us hope. But let me ask you this morning, do you know the context in which God gave these words? <coughs> if you're already there, look with me, Jeremiah 29, and I want us to look at verses 4 through 11. Verses 4 through 11. This is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters Multiply there. Do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city I have deported you to. Pray for the Lord to the Lord on its behalf. For when it has prosperity, you will prosper. In verse 8. For this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says. 
Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. And don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. And then verses 10 and 11. For this is what the Lord says. When, seven, when 70 years for a Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Now many times when we see Jeremiah 29, 11 written on a nice uh, plaque or, or painted on a nice picture or listed somewhere as someone's life verse, we don't see it in the context in which it was written. I, I want to ask you, as we read through those verses, did you notice something that you may not have known about this verse of Scripture? Did you notice that this verse is given to a people, to the people of God, at the beginning of their 70 year slave sentence. Notice that God says, I have deported you. God is communicating to them that He has a plan for them despite the reality that He just sentenced them to a slave sentence in a foreign country. I don't know if that means anything to you. But this context for this passage of Scripture, this is a verse that is often used to give us these warm and fuzzy images of God doing for us the very things that we want. And yet, I don't think that there was a single solitary Israelite that wanted to be deported and exiled and slaves in Babylon. Over the next three weeks, we are going to examine a series of messages entitled God's Plan for You. Whether you're six or 600, some of you think you are. I keep telling me, oh, preacher, you... Just wait till you get as old as me. Heard that this morning. I won't tell you who I heard it from. But no matter where you are in this life, we're going to examine God's plan for you. Today's message, we're going to examine the phrase, for I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you. And we're going to examine that phrase in Jeremiah 29, 11 with this thought in mind. God's plans are all-inclusive. God's plans are all-inclusive. 
Now, I, I don't know if you've ever been to a resort or even a, a cruise line that was all-inclusive. Uh, I haven't. But what I mean by all-inclusive, I want to explain to you by using four aspects of God's all-inclusive plan. The first aspect is this. God's plans, they are known plans. They are known plans. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. For this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says... Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you and don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. Understand this, that there are well-meaning people there are not so well-meaning people that want to give you advice about your life and about the future, and they know nothing. They know nothing. God is the one who knows. This verse in Jeremiah 29, this verse 11 it says, I know. God says to you, and God says to me, for I know. No matter what it is that you and I go through in this life, we need to understand that God knows. He knows. You may think that he doesn't know. You may feel that he doesn't know. You may try to Convince yourself and others that he doesn't know. But I can assure you that he knows. You may be stressed out to the max because you don't know all the details of God's plan for you, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't know. He knows. In this passage of Scripture, in this phrase from Jeremiah 29, 11, the Hebrew actually points to the I, the, the I know in the passage as emphatic. It's, it's double emphasis in the reality that God knows. He says to you and he says to me, you may not understand all that's going on in your life, but I know. I know. God knows. He is aware. And trust me, it is far more important for God to know and understand the plan that He has for your life than for you to know and understand the plan that He has for your life. God gives us sometimes just the vision that we need to take the next step. And, and, and many times we are fearful of taking the next step because you know why? Because we want to know where the next step and the next step and the next step and we want to know where it all leads to. And God says, trust me because I know. Take the step that I give you the light to step by and realize that I 
know. You know, it may sound like cruel and unusual punishment to, to have God say, even though you don't understand, continue on. And, you know, for, for some of us that, that aren't sporadic, that don't enjoy adventures, that seems like punishment. But, but here's some truth that I think you need to understand. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 reveals the reason. It reveals the reason. And here's the verse. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, our understanding is not necessary because our thoughts are not what God's thoughts are. His thoughts are far beyond our thoughts. His ways are far beyond our ways. And this is the greatest reason. The greatest reason for us to trust the Holy Spirit that lives within us when God gives us direction in our life. When God says, I want you to do this, or I want you to stop doing this, we need to understand that He knows. He knows the plan that He has for you and for me. And so let's trust His guidance. Let's trust that He instilled in us the Holy Spirit that will guide our steps and our ways if we will seek Him. If we will seek Him and His ways, then He will guide us. Folks, if there is a decision in your life that you know that God wants you to make, then I want to encourage you. Stop holding back. Stop holding back. Obey. Do what God is leading you to do. Because God not only knows, but God knows best. He knows what is best for you. He knows what is best for me. Sometimes we can't comprehend that, but it's the truth. And so as we look at God's plan, and we look at God's plan for our life, we've got to realize that the first aspect of His all-inclusive plan is that these plans, they are known plans. The second aspect is that they are eternal plans. They are eternal plans. We, we've got to understand that, that there was never a time when God didn't think about His plans for us, for you, for me. Not us as a group, but individually. Individually, each and every one of you. There has never been a time when God didn't think about you. Think about His plans for you. And I know it's baffling for us to understand that even before, even before He created the world, that He was thinking about your life and my life. He was thinking about the plans that He had for us. Part of the problem in today's society is a philosophy called naturalism. 
It's everywhere. I, I can't read a book about the earth without being just bombarded with naturalism. You can't go to a museum without being bombarded with naturalism. You can't study at a public school, private school, university without being bombarded with naturalism. Naturalism is the idea that humans are simply a product of our environment. And this naturalism, it leaves people hopeless. It leaves people empty. And it's one reason why I believe our world is so wicked. Why do people do the things that they do? It's because they have no purpose. Does God have a plan for them? Yes. But they haven't submitted themselves to God. They haven't submitted themselves to God's plan. So what are they doing? They're living lives that are hopeless. They're without purpose. They don't think anything they do on this earth will matter for eternity. And folks, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible communicates to us. Scripture tells us that God has a purpose. He has a plan. And that plan goes beyond our physical life. It is an eternal plan that always has been and always will be. I want you to see something. In God's word, if you'll turn with me, keep your finger at Isaiah. Excuse me, at Isaiah, at uh, Jeremiah twenty-nine. I want you to turn over to Psalm one thirty-six. Psalm one thirty-six. This is not a long chapter, but it's a chapter I think that will open our eyes to the reality of God's eternal plan for you and for me. Psalm 136. It's quite repetitive, but it's repetitive for a reason. Verse 1. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love is eternal. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love is eternal. Some of His versions may say everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love is eternal. He alone does great wonders. His love is eternal. He made the heavens skillfully. His love is eternal. He spread the land on the waters. His love is eternal. He made the great lights. His love is eternal. The sun to rule by day. His love is eternal. The moon and the stars to rule by night. His love is eternal. He struck the firstborn of the Egyptians. His love is eternal. And brought Israel out from among them. His love is eternal. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, His love is eternal. Y'all say that with me. Okay, when I, when, I, when I get to the verse where it says His love is eternal, do it with me, okay? Look in your Bibles. He divided the Red Sea. Come on now. He divided the Red Sea. And led Israel through. But hurled Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. He led his people in the wilderness. He struck down great kings. 
and slaughtered famous kings. Silo the king of the Amorites. And Og king of Bashan. And gave their land as an inheritance. And inheritance to Israel his servant. And remembered us in our humiliation. And rescued us from our foes. He gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love is eternal. Let me ask you a question. Simple question. Do you know the object of God's eternal love? Do you know what drives the eternal love of God? Do you know what causes God to act in history? Do you know that you are the object of God's eternal love? It's not His own selfishness. It's not influence. He's not trying to impress some other God in some other universe. You and I are the object of God's eternal love. Each and every one of you are special. And God has an eternal, eternal purpose. He has an eternal plan for your life. They are known plans. They are eternal plans. Thirdly, they are continual. They are continual. Interesting, if you look, you could turn back to, uh, to Jeremiah 29, 11. It's interesting, if you look at Jeremiah 29, 11, in the Hebrew text, you will see that the Hebrew literally reads... For I know, and this, there's an emphasis in the I, for I know the plans. And, and here's how it would literally read. For I know the plans that I am planning for you. For I know the plans that I am planning for you. You know, there is a cultural idea of fate that often sneaks into Christian thought. By definition, fate is something destined to happen, something that turns out or an act in a particular way. It's the idea that things just happen without purpose. And what you and I believe need to understand <coughs> is that there never has been and there never will be a thoughtless action of God toward you and toward me. Now that often brings up a, a difficult concept for us to understand. We often say, well, well, preacher, well, God, does that mean that you caused something harmful to happen to me and my family? You see, that's what we get to. We get to the idea of cause rather than there's not a single solitary thing that God did not know and allow to happen. Causing it to happen is different than understanding and allowing something to happen. 
We, I believe, need to really think about this idea of faith and, and realize that it's not from God's Word. It's not from God's Word. Faith, you see, has never determined what has happened to you. God has. God has. In Psalm 139, 17 and 18, we read these words, God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend. How difficult are your thoughts for me to comprehend. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Now let's go back to this idea. There's probably not a single person in here that has not had a traumatic event happen in their life. December the 27th of 1978. I had just turned four years old. My grandmother came into our home, called my mom over to the door, and said something to her. My mother, I could see her today, dropped to her knees, just fell out, screaming, hollering, why, why, why? I was four years old, just turned four. You know what I thought? I thought my grandmother just told my mom she had to go to the doctor to see the doctor because that's what I—that's I, the response I had. Well, my mom says we got to go to the doctor. I just fell out. But what my grandmother said to my mom was way more impactful than you have to go to the doctor. She said that my dad was dead. He had died in a tragic automobile accident. You look at those events in your life and you say, sometimes, God, why? Why? We know that God knows, so He knew it would happen. We know God is in control, so He allowed it to happen. But why? There's where we have to trust in Him. It's not just about the past, but it's also about the future. God knows. And there's not a single thing that has gone on in your life, and there will not be a single more thing that goes on in your life that God doesn't know. And He thinks about you and me. He, I promise you, spends a whole lot more time thinking about our future than we do. His plans for us are continual. His thoughts for us are continual. Does that answer the great questions of why on the face of this earth? 